Welcome back to my podcast, Beyond the Water Cooler. Here we are for the fifth series. As usual, we'll be covering all things that shape employee experience, engagement, performance, and loyalty. And that's a biggie at a time with budget cuts and the workforce feeling the pinch, including increasing pressure at work. We'll be unpicking how leaders show up and create the right culture for people to thrive. One that enables psychological safety, builds team cohesion, and nurtures mental well-being. I'm your host, Lisa. As a psychologist and a psychotherapist in my business, It's Time for Change, I get to make a real difference in the world of people. I help deal with those challenges and questions that consume headspace. So whether that's knowing how best to support people, reduce overwhelm, or develop better ways of working, I'm your soundboard, problem unpicker, and guide to doing things differently that ultimately increase employee happiness and outcomes. My mantra is simple, get people right, get business right. So let's dive in. Okay, welcome everybody. This is quite cool because this is a bit of a takeover from David Greenaway and Gemma Ellison, and we're taking over the Superb Lisa Lloyd's podcast from the first episode to her 50th episode. And we kind of figured this was the time to mix it up and change it up a gear. And um, we're going to now go interview and talk to Lisa from It's Time for Change. Um, do you want to say hi, Gemma? Hi, I'm Gemma Ellison. I work at Macmillan Cancer Support, uh, looking after talent and leadership. And I'm also a culture and leadership consultant. Awesome. Lisa? I'm Lisa of uh, It's Time for Change, and I'm all things to do with people, culture, and helping people enjoy being at work and doing what they do best. Fantastic. And I'm Dave Greenaway from Life in Business, and um, I help people have a much better experience of business. So let's get to this. You know what? I have to say, I was really blessed to have two opportunities to be on your podcast, Lisa, which I thoroughly enjoyed doing. And I know Gemma's been on a few times, and it's been a real joy to be a part of this um and i think you've done superbly well but now i've swelled your head a little let's can we get into it a bit yeah can i before you can you before you ask your first question or whatever you're going to kick off with dave yeah. i want to just say i'm really looking forward to hearing jem sing a bit of barry white for us today always. as you promised <laughs> yeah, that's going to come later it's going to come always, later always. husky voice yeah <laughs> That'd be the blue career. Yeah, so, so, so I'm really grateful for you joining us today, Gem, because you helped me very well. Um, and can I just say, I'm also really grateful because the, the reason I was really keen for you two to come and um, kind of take over this episode is because, Dave, you were with me for episode number one, so it yeah. seemed very apt to kind of just close that loop. And, Gem, you helped me um, kind of summarise everything to do with my last season Um uh, on the on the podcast and we had such a great conversation about so much of the world of work and what issues are going on at the moment and so on you seem to be the obvious choice and I, and where this conversation is going to go to I have no idea but the, I had suggestions about we should do the top 50 tips um that have come out from guests and I just thought goodness I, actually people just need to go and listen to the 50 episodes themselves and work out you know listen to the tips which are right all, all in those episodes someone said about 50 top gins we could have done which I quite like that idea. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But we're not doing that. We're discussing other no, stuff. It's a Monday morning, Lisa. <laughs> <laughs> and can I also just say, um, you can tell I'm just taking over again, so I will shut up in a minute. But I spoke to the amazing Dr. Amanda Potter, 
who mm-hmm. has a podcast called the Chief the Chief Psychology Officer podcast recently, and we were having a um, bit of a chat. She's awesome, and she's uh, pointing in the direction of a BBC News article in April, which said that in 2023 there are more podcasts than ever before, but. But of the total number of shows globally, less than a quarter have more than 10 episodes. Mm. Wow. Which is staggering. It is. But not surprising, no, in a way, because it takes serious commitment to, to do a podcast for any length of time. Because it's not just the recording, is it? As you well know, it's all the work beforehand. It's getting the people. It's finding the times. It's it's an effort. It's a big job. So anyway, yeah, what you've done, 50 episodes, is a real achievement. That's why I've got more wrinkles. It's, it's, it's taking its toll. Yeah, it's taking its toll. It's worn <laughs> you out. How long, how long has it been now? How many years? When, when was it we sat in the garden and sort of had that first conversation around all this? I think it was March. Was it right March time last year or something? It was earlier than that, wasn't it? Didn't you have just broken your leg? Oh, my gosh, it could have been. Yeah, I think it was like 2021 or something. It's been anyway, a while. Anyway, it's, a it's been a long, old time. Been a lot of effort. A lot but, of effort. So, well, that is a great segue into to getting this going. So I'm quite interested. I know Gem is as well. From episode one to episode 50, and that, that's a period of time. What are you seeing has changed in the workplace for people from a sort of well-being, mental health point of view? And through that change, do you we think that it's because people are feeling worse generally or because people are becoming more vocal and it's definitely at the front of the sort of national conversation right now. What are your thoughts around all that, Lise? Um, I think that, I think it's a bit of both. I think uh, people have become much more aware of um, how they feel themselves, what's, how other people feel. There's, there's a lot more talk now about employee experience and mental health and... So, so people are much more tuned into that. Um, so naturally, people are um, going to be talking about it more. So there's more awareness around it. So the numbers will tend to go up. But I also think, um, and the data seems to suggest that burnout is still on the increase, and people are struggling with their mental health more and more. And loneliness is still, you know, it's no longer just an issue from the pandemic. That is on an ongoing challenge, and there are issues around um you know feeling that sense of trust and connection and so i think there's there are despite increased awareness and supposedly then i guess more people coming in with solutions and trying to support people with these challenges the challenges still seem to be getting bigger what and why do you think that is so i read um somewhere last week that now more people are medicated than ever before um more people are accessing services than ever before. And it seems to me that with the amount of money being pumped into this type of, in, in terms of industries, in terms of mental health, why aren't we seeing the problem getting smaller? Why are we seeing it getting bigger? Why do you think that is? I think it's because the um, we're pumping more and more money in to try and pick up the pieces and to try and um, put right this problem. But no one's actually addressing in a very effective way what's causing the problem so this you know if you think about rates of burnout as an example of going up and that's a very significant um issue right now particularly for leaders no one's actually looking at how to reduce that burnout so if people are burning out they're more likely than to end up experiencing you know 
of work with stress, depression, anxiety, and so on. And no one's actually, we're kind of then throwing more money at medication and let's get more mental health first aid experts in and focus on mental health awareness. You know, the number of workshops around, which are great around how to spot the signs of your mental health not being great and what to do about it. And there's definitely a place for that. But that on its own doesn't change anything. We've actually got to go back to the basics and kind of look at, okay, what is causing what's causing problems a bit like you know people being downstream and yanking stuff out the river it's like we'll go upstream and and work out why things are being thrown in the first place it's it's kind of like looking at those root causes don't know what do you see dave yeah well i was actually going to ask you just a follow up case on mine there do you think the the level of the bar has been lowered and what i mean by that is maybe once upon a time we all had more of a mentality of this is just work I need to put up with and endure a lot more as, you know, I've got to go to work, work hard. And if that bar becomes lowered, it then naturally filters more and more people into this um, difficult well-being space. Do you think there's an element of that that people are, I'll say this carefully, quicker to say they're having a well-being challenge as opposed to enduring a lot further than maybe, you know, 20 years ago or whatever? Yeah, I think it probably are quicker because now people know it's okay to say that. Whereas at one point you would have been kicked out if you, if you wanted to say I was having a well-being day. Yeah. Um, so I think people are quick to say that. But I think also there's the ongoing challenges of, you know, looking at um, where the world of work is now. Hybrid working, you know, a lot of people say that's a great model. But again, the research is showing that's causing a huge amount of strain on people because they're, well, depending on what level they are in an organization. But, but if you think about managers, you think about leaders who are suddenly now trying to um, manage people who are in, in person and hybrid teams, they've now got, or people who are remote working, they've now got double the amount of challenges and mm-hmm. people are struggling now. They've almost got the worst of both worlds mm-hmm. and there's no sense of, boundaries in terms of you know my workday finishes here and it's it's very easy to you know we talk about integrated um work sort of work and and your personal life but actually there's no off and and it's very easy just to be dipping into being a bit of reading checking my linkedin or whatever in the evenings on weekends and it always surprises me how many people do that and i know they say they do that for their own um, you know, that works for them. There are a huge number of people doing that. So they're never getting any off time. So we're always on. Can I just, so, so just relating to that actually, um, and this is something Dave, I asked both of you about this. There's a tendency, I think, and, and this is in organizations, if you think about it, when we're here, we've got a well being problem. Our tendency is to add more things. We will add mental health first aiders, we will add. Mm. Um, well-being initiatives we will add yoga on a Wednesday we will add this and this and this and is that a problem in itself do we need to actually start helping organizations with how to subtract things and actually when it comes to workload and things like that we think about productivity seems to be adding more if people want to stretch in their career let's add more to them when actually from a well-being perspective is there benefit in taking lots of things away and helping to actually reduce the number of things people have to do and think about. What do you mm. both think about that? I, for me, I'm always talking about stripping back because mm. I think it's 
everything feels really complex. There yeah. seems to be so many. I think you've nailed it there, Gem, in terms of people grabbing solutions. Mm. And they, they spot a problem. They's like, this is what we're going to bring in. We're going to try this. We're going to try this. It's not, it's not necessarily part of a bigger strategy. It's not necessarily evaluate in terms of it's actually making a difference. I was having a conversation last week um, with a director of a company who's, who was really open and said, we have loads of stuff here that um, people forget about. We introduce something. So we're really great at getting kind of these new shiny things. We grab them. And then he said, "We've some of them have only been in place two or three years. He said, if I said to loads of my members of my team, what about such and such? They're like, oh yeah, we did we did want to talk about that, didn't we? And nothing happens with it. And it's that sense of we it just becomes more and more and more. And suddenly it's another thing I've got to attend or another thing I've got to another process I've got to try and engage with. Or and actually, if we just go back and ask the basic questions, you know, one of the, the biggest um the kind of most common factors we know makes a big difference in terms of team relationships is around is empathy. So if we just went back to basics of human principles of let's just ask some really good questions about what's getting in the way, what's helping people work well, um, what you know, do they do they know what success looks like? Do they feel good about their role in that? Do they feel that the work um that they have to do is achievable? Do they have the right tools and right skills to be able to do it? Ask them just the really basic questions. You know, how do they want to feel when they're working? And what's getting in the way of of that? And what do we need to do to support you to so your experience is more aligned with how you want to show up? Mm. And if we just go back to the basic questions, you can then build everything from that rather than just grabbing mm. opportunities. I don't know, what do you think? Yeah, I think from your point earlier um, least that actually we spend a lot of time dealing with symptoms more than we do with actually getting to the root of it where maybe harder work it might be deeper work it might be more costly but in the long run will probably serve the the individuals as well as an organization a lot better in the longer term but mm. but the, my perspective of the time i spend with organizations they it's just dealing with symptoms it's, it is just a sticking plaster which tends to come loose and disappear in two or three four days or a week or two or whatever it is because people are, to your point, Gemma, are so inherently busy and taking on more and more and more um, that there is a sense in this day and age that it's very hard to switch off, to turn away. But not least because it's in our face, isn't it? I mean, you know, it, it's it's on us all of the time with social media, WhatsApp. It's very well, well versed with it now. But people just don't seem to be able to switch it off and turn away. I mean, one of the things I spend a lot, as you both know, I spend a lot of time talking about is don't do more, do less. You know, go slow to go fast. It's actually slowing down, spending more time with family, friends, whatever it is. I believe where that's actually where a lot of our well-being is is created. That's where we find our sense of who we are, which in, in of itself will make us better in our work environment, which will create a, a stronger sense of the work that we do. You know, you've probably both seen this so many times. I mean. And I've done this myself without a doubt. I'm not going to tell you which boss I did it for, but I did. I would spend eight hours not doing much of anything in certain organization I was in a little while ago. And um, just because I wanted to look busy because I had to do eight hours. And I can get more done in an hour now than I did in eight hours then. Mm. Because I can, because I just wasn't that bothered. Mm. And I think that's, you know, and that in itself was causing a well-being challenge for me because actually I don't want to do that. So... It's a it's a real mixed bag, and I think that's the whole. It, that comes down to you know that sense of purpose, and yeah. you 
And again, I mean, that's a that's a term that has been banded around so much. That is everyone's like, well, surely everyone's found their sense of purpose by now. But again, the research shows that there's a surprising number of, I think it's something like nearly half of leaders. So they haven't really got a clear sense of purpose. Yeah. And if you haven't got that, how on earth are you supposed to communicate that to the rest of your organization and get people engaged and get them motivated and so on? So that sense of you know, why, why is I'm doing what I'm doing? And, you know, you're brilliant at being really effective now, Dave, in that hour, because you're so, you're so motivated by what you do. You're excited by it. Yeah. Energizes you. And, and you just think that level of when you have that sense of purpose and clarity around what you're doing and you're excited by it, you're so much more productive. Again, the research shows that, you know, when we're in that state, we are so much better at producing novel ideas and solutions to things. And, you know, you, and, Life just feels better, doesn't it? And of yeah. course, you then, you know, you can tell from the look on your face and your level of energy, mm. you're far more productive. Yeah. How does that then apply, Jim? This might be a good one for you with your position right now. How does that then apply to people who are in paid employment? Because Lisa and I are both working for ourselves, doing what we love, yeah. which is kind of cool. But there'll be many people out there going, well, that's all right for you guys. For someone who's in paid employment, how um, how do they find a purpose within the boundaries of their job role to fill that sense of fulfillment? How do you see that, Jen? So I think purpose is individual. So um, when I, I I spent a lot of time on a train a couple of weeks ago and read the book uh, called The Invisible Leader by Zach Mercurio. Um, really, really excellent book. Recommend it. Um, and it, and it was talking about the fact that people it talks about purpose. And the fact that everyone's purpose is individual. So a company may have a, may have a purpose. What Do we need to actually make sure that everyone buys into the purpose of the company? Or can we engage with our team's individual purpose? So so an example is um, from that book, actually. Um, he did a study um, with some bus drivers. And when he came into the company, um, read the book, by the way, he tells it better than I do, mm. but I'll summarise. Um, he said that um, he his brief was, this this group are really disengaged. They've got no purpose. And actually, when he spoke to them, they were so purpose driven. And each of them had a different purpose. Each of them was completely different. One of them um, found purpose in taking um, children who were disabled to school. Someone had a purpose in helping an elderly person onto their bus. So, so do we need? You know, is it more about us helping people within our organisations find their purpose and then maybe shaping a job? or reframing what they're doing around that purpose. So again, I've got a team of five at the moment at Macmillan. Each of them are driven by a completely different thing. Now, at Macmillan, we're there to do everything it takes to support people living with cancer. We're all there. We all know why we're there. But actually, someone in my team is really, really driven to get people a head start in their careers. Mm. Another person is driven by inclusivity and purpose. And for me as a leader, as long as I can create and and shape their roles and their days around what purpose means for them, I think then that's the role of a leader to help people discover and then design the days around what purpose means to them, not what it means to me, because it might mean something completely different mm. to me as it often does. Mm. So please, I, would you, I, sorry. No, because I, I agree with that. And I think that's, um, you know, I talk about what success looks like. I think too often we, again, traditional models will say, this is, we've got a role. This is the role in our team. We need someone to fill that role. This is, these are the jobs they do which I think a different way of looking at it is you look at what's the purpose of the team. So what are the objectives of the whole team? 
and there'll be some shared objectives. Mm. And actually, what are we individually driven by? A bit like Gem was describing. And, and you know, it reminds me of a, a company I worked with where we did something like Dragon's Den. And we were looking at that sense of this is this is what we need to achieve as a whole team. But what are people motivated by? And how can we reshape how we work? And we know that this is what we have to achieve. This is what it's going to look like when we've done it brilliantly. And you work back from that. So you work from the end point. This is what success looks like. What do you need to do? And you start from that end point and you come back to this is what these are the, almost the ingredients that need to go in. Who is driven by that role? Who's driven by that particular task, that particular activity? And actually find the, what people get excited about. But then make sure that those people have got the tools they need. So it could be that. I love doing I don't know, data analysis or something. And I've heard this really cool new program that's come out, but I don't really know how to use it yet. So go and get some training around it. Or actually, I love working with people, but I struggle to have conversations about, I don't know, mental health or dealing with conflict or whatever. So I need a bit more support, a bit more training around that. So it's actually identifying what those needs are for people to be able to feel at their best in the role that they're doing. Yeah, mm. I absolutely agree. I, I, but you, um, that when you talked earlier around, um, you said, you know, let's ask them sort of basic questions. Yeah. And I find that really it makes me laugh sometimes um, through our conversations. That is That may sound basic to you because of all your expertise and experience in this space. But actually, sometimes asking the most basic or simple questions mm. is the hardest. And people don't know where to start. And that's why bringing in people like you, for example, who can make something that seems relatively simple, but it's actually quite complex. And mm. if it was from a leader or a manager perspective, which is a whole different conversation I'm sure we'll have, mm. they don't know how, no, people don't know how to do that. That's not within their space. So I think sometimes, and, and all three of us will do it, we will think the things that we do are very, very simple, very basic, but actually mm. those simple conversations can change the course of, you know, let's be dramatic, the world, can't they really? But it's actually yeah. knowing and having all the experience, all of the, you know, everything that you've got within your mind to help people have those seemingly simple conversations. That's one of the things I have to say I love about my job. When, um, so, you know, some people kind of go in with their glossy off-the-shelf products that are all very, you know, um, meticulous in terms of how they're delivered. And some of my best workshops that I've run with teams are where I go along with like a big piece of flip chart and some pens and a set of some really good questions and we literally thrash stuff out a load of post notes and stuff and we just sit around a table and we have make sure we've got the right people in the room and you just have the conversation around these really good questions and the amount of stuff that comes out of that and for me um it's really enjoyable because actually I just turn up and I'm facilitating and you just bring out what this, these people know, but they just haven't had a chance to articulate or they haven't had a chance to hear other people's or to make the connections with what they're feeling, what they know with the wider strategy or whatever the, the purposes of that particular conversation. But for me, that's just like, um, yeah, that, that's my, that's, that's the bit I love most because it's just really, it's just genuine conversation that just brings out amazing things. Well, let's, yeah. let's, sorry, this is my actual takeover now. Sorry, Dave, you can speak again soon. Um, <laughs> I'm going to pull, pull you back. Language is important to me. And when you just said there, Lise, I just turn up. No, and I, I, I just facilitate. Absolutely not. I think there is such a skill in facilitating conversation, and I don't know that we value it enough mm. in organisations, 
whether you know anywhere there is an absolute skill in being able to draw out people's views and create a psychological safe space to mm. make that happen so mm. i think when we think about what do you know what what are the skills people need in the future i think the ability to facilitate and actually hold a conversation without it you know you're not making it about you or anything like that mm. just holding space for people mm. and helping them to have conversations i think so i'm going to ban the word just from your vocabulary now I'm going to call you out on it because it's such a skill it really is but I I I, I completely agree um with that um and I think the again the, the research that's showing that it's stuff around psychological safety um particularly around trust that is really critical and if we can but those are based on having really good interpersonal skills and it's the interpersonal skills that are often missing. And so it goes back to, you know, it's, it's not just stripping out everything for the sake of stripping out everything, but it's going back to what does it mean to be human for us to be able to connect and have empathy and have the interpersonal skills that we need in order to be able to support each other, which we can do within our organization. Yes, we might have to have support from outside to build these interpersonal skills, but we need to equip ourselves to work in our best way. It's like fine tuning a engine of a car or something rather than just adding on all the bolt-ons to try and make it a supercar. It's like actually just go back to fine tuning the engine and making sure it's working in its best way. Mm. Yeah, they, absolutely. Maybe you're allowed to speak now. All right, good. That's good. <laughs> nice to know. Thanks, guys. Well, that's really interesting, isn't it? I mean, I, I think, you know, as well as... It's, I think this is where I end up. Like, it's so easy for the three of us to sit here and talk about this stuff and say it and what people should and shouldn't do and this, that and the other. And I think it's good for us as well as everyone else that listens to this is that actually we have to appreciate that in the real world, in, in business, it's hard and it is full of very, very different personalities, different characters, different people, different beliefs, different ideals, value sets, all that sort of stuff. And for an organization, I want to be on the side of the organization a little bit, if I'm honest as well. I can see how a CEO, MD, whoever, can feel completely at sea with this, can feel really lost and not knowing where to begin and start because they will inherently know that their teams are broad and wide because they have to be for their job roles, right? Creatives are typically different to someone who might be an accountant, different people. So how, you know, where do CEOs start? Where do they go to sort of draw that baseline? Um, and I'm interested in this upstream stuff, Lise. I like that. I, I think we need to get away from dealing with symptoms and go to the roots. Mm. How would you see that going? How could someone really, as a leader, start dealing with it in their business upstream? Where's the first place for them to begin? I, th I think it's actually about having just the courage to be honest and to be a bit vulnerable and to say, I'm aware that we need that stuff's not as good as it can be and we need to do something different. And I actually don't really know where to start because I think most people actually, if they're honest, don't really know where to start because it's mm -hmm. such a big complex web. Um, and I think as soon as someone has that is able to say that to the right people. So it could be to some of their colleagues who, who say, right, let's sit down collectively and work out how to do this. It could be to whoever, if they've got a coach, or it could be, you know, it's it's finding the right person just to have that conversation with and get the ball rolling. Um, the number of leaders I speak to who just say they feel incredibly lonely because they don't feel they can be authentic, because they feel they have to be seen to have hold everything together and have all the answers. 
Um, and you know, when I when when you have challenging conversations with people, when I say challenging, it's not kind of conflict and so on. It's just asking the questions that you know. Do you you got these things? That's great, but do you know they're working? Or have you thought about the connection between this particular aspect of your company and that? Or just asking the questions that really kind of probe a little bit. Um, and it can feel, you know, sometimes the response is not necessarily really engaging, like, oh, thanks for pointing it out to me, or thanks for making me think about that. But then afterwards, and this only happened last week, I got a recommendation from someone else who had had quite, um, it was quite, a, it's one of those really sensitive conversations where I had to really be aware of my language and make sure mm. I was, um, how I was framing everything was sensitive and so on. And it was really challenging, this guy's perceptions of what the problem was and he then said right I'm sending someone else to you because you've managed to get to what the root cause is rather than what everyone else has been doing is dealing with what they think is the problem because this is what everyone's seeing on the surface and actually no one's gone back to explaining this is why this is happening and this is how our brains work in terms of this is what motivates us this is the these are the assumptions we make based on the patterns of our experience in life and just beginning to understand a little bit more about human behavior based on how our brain works and what is normal. And therefore we can't judge each other for it. We can't criticize each other for it. It's just, that's how it is. But once we're open to say, that's how it is, we can now do something with it. Mm-hmm. I want to come in on, cause we talked about leaders um, just now and, and the loneliness that leaders can feel about the you know the need to keep it all together um, mm. and the pressure that that might have um, you know uh, well we've we've all talked in detail about my views on leaders and managers I think everyone can lead them there should be a distinction necessarily um, but for the purposes of this conversation um, I I will differentiate mm. um, and, and talk about the managers so who is looking after our managers so for, to my mind there is a huge amount of pressure on a on a manager so you've got people who are expecting more from managers now. Um, and that goes back to our earlier point in the conversation around whether people do need more or whether they f- whether that's changed or whether they're actually more vocal about it now. We've got mm. that going on. We've also got pressure from the top. So we've got these people quite often have had no space and time to develop in the, in these areas. There's quite often in a role because they're the next person who's there or they're the highest, you know, or highest performing person in a particular space. Then they've got the big added pressure of leading people and managing people. So, Lisa, what, what would you say about that? Who's looking after those people? And, and and do you think we're seeing more burnout in that space? I don't think enough people are looking after the managers. I think um, they are a kind of, I could say, forgotten group. They're very much at the forefront of everyone's minds in terms they should be doing more, they should be doing better. But no one, I don't think enough people are looking after them. Um and again, if you think about the kind of quality conversations that we know need to happen rather than, you know, there's a whole argument for more training, make sure that they've got the the skills and so on. And I definitely think there's a need for that. So to, to know how to relate best to their team, how to build trust, how to create that cultural psychological safety, which will benefit themselves as well as their team. So understanding, helping them understand what's in it for them as well. Um, but I think also... Again, creating a space to have good conversations. So where I've seen really good practice is where we've we've pulled together people who are relatively new to their role or who are working in an environment where 
perhaps there are some challenges or they just are aware that they want to develop their um, their role a little bit more, their own skills and knowledge. And you pull people together. Um, and ideally, if you can do it across companies, that's even better. But if you've got a large company, you pull those managers together and you have an opportunity to sit around and discuss. And you again, you follow a particular framework. So it's not just a free-flowing conversation to see where it ends up. But you end up focusing on what are the particular challenges and what are our how what what's causing those, what are causing the challenges to, to arise. So really understanding again, so not just solving the problem because people are too busy <laughs> to do that, really understand what's going on and then beginning to share good practice about potential ways of overcoming that. Now, if when you do that collectively, not only are you benefiting that one manager who's brought that um, issue to the table, but collectively everyone in that room who comes across that particular challenge at some point, and they will, is already forearmed in terms of how to deal with it. Mm. Again, that goes back to, I'm not going to say just, <laughs> good conversation around a particular framework about sh- understanding what the challenges are, understanding why they're arising, and understanding different perspectives, different ways of dealing with it, rather than mm-hmm. managers being stuck on their own or just them and their line manager to try and resolve some pretty complex issues. What would you say to, <clears throat> because typically managers are crazy busy, aren't they? I mean, there's literally not enough hours in the day. How does a, a business decide to take it seriously enough that they need to put some time towards it and step out of the day-to-day running, which they know will buy them. It's like come back off holiday, isn't it? Mm. It's lovely, but you know what's coming the minute you step back to your email in your inbox. And how how would an organisation realistically make that work for the managers? What can they do to, to get that real buy-in to see the, the value of that time spent? Because, you know, we've all been there, even I've, I've delivered workshops, I know you guys have, where people turn up and you kind of know they don't want to be there because they've just got too much else to do. Mm. And you're a little bit of a thorn in their side. And and that's sad because that's not my fault. It's not their fault. It, it, they're a product of that environment that they're in. What what can, we, what can people do about that, do you think? Either of you, really? Whoever. Well, I was, I was going to say that, um, so I in terms of workshops, I'm, I am not a fan of just workshops for workshops sake without any follow-up. So actually, yeah. if you're, if someone's going to, provide a workshop it's really important to make sure that people coming know what's in it for them like why why they're going to benefit so now being really clear about what they what's going to help them achieve in terms of how and that's got to be aligned with how they want to feel differently at work there's got to be an emotional motivation um because that's what drives us day to day so we know when you by coming to this workshop, by taking part in this, you're going to feel something different at the end of it. Mm. And make sure that that's built into a bigger program of you know after that workshop having one-to-ones or having small group sessions where you can talk about okay what stood out for you how are you applying it um you know what your takeaways and actually discussing Mm -hmm. it then you revisit that again a few weeks later a month or so later to say okay I've had a go at it what worked well what didn't work so well why not how can I overcome those um, those barriers so you build into a much bigger program if you like but the program again is not a program you're buying in a complicated off-the-shelf thing it's it's a it's about having it's about using whatever was in that workshop is that's the that's your natural follow-up to have the conversations with but that mm. comes back to senior leaders putting making sure the time is there in the diaries of managers so there's a bit like people who have the role of a mental health first aider or 
you know, I'm, I'm whatever my particular role is on top of my day job. Yeah. Like, well, how can you have this role on top of your day job? If you're a manager, you have to have enough time in your week to fulfill your manager role. So a really great place to start with that is what do you think a role of a manager actually is? And what does a successful manager look like? And what does a successful manager enable their team to feel like and do? And then what do you think is required to be able to make that that happen? So if you can start looking at that, you're then they're generating with the fact that the manager needs to have regular check-ins. They need to do be able to share their decision-making processes to build trust. They need to be able to ask lots of questions. They, you know, all that they need. And then how much time does that take? So then, so you start from that way around rather than saying, right, you just got to find time in your diary to make sure you go along and have these conversations. Yeah. I'll tell you, that's one thing I've definitely found to be true, Lisa, is that getting someone to be in a psychologically better place is mm. is almost the same as people getting someone to be in a physically better place you do all that hard work you go to the gym you run whatever it is you're doing but actually once you get there you've got to maintain it and you, you can't then just let it step away and you and you're, you're stayed at that fixed point and i think it's no different to this sort of well-being place is when you get people to a better place of the way where they feel and how they're thinking and so on that actually needs to be maintained by the organization and then that's just that's probably a bigger responsibility than getting them to that better place in the first place i said place <laughs> you're not there but you know what i mean <laughs> i'm going to take it back a step further though um in terms of managers um and in terms of you know the, the things they need to do i've got a question around whether they want to do it so i i i'm a genuine believer in a deliberate leader some people have a desire and a skill set to develop people, to empower people, to want to lead. Some people simply don't, and yeah. that's okay. And there shouldn't only be one way to progress in an organisation. It shouldn't be up or out. There should be lots of different ways to squiggle around an organisation, depending on your skill set. So I think one of the problems that we have with managers at times, they don't want to do it. It's not what they signed up for when they started their career. They don't think, I know. I want to lead a team of 10 and be responsible for their mental health and all the other things that you wow. have to do. So I think there's the first stage in when we're, when we're actually thinking in business about managers. So question one, do you want to do that job? Do you want to manage? And then I also think, and it's relating to what you both said a little bit, Let's this, the job role of a manager isn't just an, on, on the side of your desk job, that on a Tuesday afternoon when you, you fancy it and you're a little bit bored and everything else has dried up, you've done your emails, you'll now start looking after your team. We have to shape the role. We have to make sure, again, I'm really big at the moment on space and time, mm. space and time to develop and space and time to lead and space and time to do these things. Uh, but I do think the first question, and it goes back to everything we've said today about doing what you love. And I think that's something that's really important to know. It's something that I've, I've listened to both of your podcasts together on this. Um, and you talk a lot about doing what you love and what brings you joy and, and where your passion is. You'll find that you improve so much more when you're doing those things. So if you're having somebody who's in a managerial position, somebody doesn't want to be there. It doesn't light them up. It's not what they want. Everyone suffers the organisation does, the manager does, the team does. So I think mm. how I wonder how we can sort of help organisations to rethink how what they're and again this is a big challenge. We're not going to solve it on this podcast today, but we're thinking about for people. How do you look at your talent structures and organisations? How do you look at your leadership and your management structures? And have you got the right people in the roles? 
not because of ability, but because of desire. Do they want to do that? Mm. That was so, sorry for a little uh, monologue there. I, I, th- yeah, but you're coming back. To, it's that whole motivation, the emotional mm. purpose of the meaning in that role, and um, you know, one of the the biggest uh, causes of sleepless nights for CEOs at the moment, according to some research, is around um, just that need of how do we develop the next generation of leaders. So, and leaders, I think, being in the wider sense of people who lead other people. So I would put managers into that. Mm. And I think when you had the, the number one point has got to be what you were mentioning, Gem, is, is, is around make, making sure that the people who are doing it want to be doing it, knowing that it's no longer a role that is quite um, defined, quite narrow, and it's about managing people. Actually, managers are people who have got to be leaders and they've got to look after people's health and they've got to be great with interpersonal skills and they've got to be great at time management to make sure they protect enough time to do that role. And actually look at the skills involved, probably one of the most complex roles in a, in an organization, you've really got to want to do it. So if you're looking at developing people in that role, actually just starting with who is in it and who doesn't really want to be in it. And is there a way of finding something that is more meaningful to those guys? Um, and also the people who are who haven't yet stepped into that role, how can we support them to have a go at something that's potentially quite exciting and could really, you know, work to their strengths and, and what they're passionate about? So it strikes me sometimes that people can, even in a particular role, that that role can change for them with a shift of their own perspective, can't it? That sometimes, you know, when we say this stuff, I was very wary of people listening go, that, well, it's all right for you guys. You will do what you love. And I, and they're right to say that. I believe that, okay? Because it is easy for us to say it because we're doing what we love. But I wonder, we're not... I don't think we're saying for people to jump up and start resigning this afternoon and because they don't love what they're doing. But maybe there's a way for them to change their perspective, to see what they're doing from a new angle, to have fresh thoughts and thinking around it that, that allows it to feel better to them. Mm. that recreates it for them. So they might be doing practically the same work every day, but they're coming at it from their psychological sense in a very different view, different way, that allows it to feel better. It's a much more, you know, a nicer way of being in business, whether you run it, leadership, or, you know, you're an employer, whatever you are, it doesn't matter. And mm. I, I believe that can be, that's one of my things, is I, I truly believe that we can change how we view what we do every day to have a much nicer experience of it. And I think, um, yeah, I think I, I completely agree with that. I think organizations can do that, whether it's, yeah. you know, when I've run workshops and you have one-to-one sessions with people, including the, the CEO, who's then saying, well, actually, I know I'm rubbish at doing X, Y, and Z part of my job, which is the people part. And it's like, yeah. well, great, but you've got s- someone else that said to me, they love doing that. And so off the back of those conversations, they realign their leadership team yeah. to change who does what to work to their strengths. Mm. Those They hadn't had those conversations before the catalyst, which is the workshop, to then explore a bit more in one-to-ones, to then go, well, actually, we need to do some work as a collective team to realign us. So I completely agree with you, Jay, that actually mm. it's really possible to do it within, within organizations as long as – there is the people understand the need for it and the, the value desire. of it. Yeah. So that's really interesting. Gem, in your experience, do do 
you know, genuinely, do do companies value this sort of type of work right now? And are they willing to pay what it takes to improve their teams? Um, well, I think, look, I can speak from Macmillan's experience at the moment. Macmillan are hugely focused in the space at the moment. Um, and I'm, I've I've been at Macmillan for four months and I've been hugely impressed, to be honest, about the appetite um, to develop people and to hold them and to have safe spaces and, and, and everything else like that. So, um, and I know that they see the value in investment in these things. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really, really important. Now, again, I think, I think people know it. Uh, organizations know it. Um, I just don't think they know what to do about it. And I, I'm also in a world where I guess, you know, it, it could be anything. We're spoiled for choice, aren't we? Well, like, well how, how do you know the right person to partner with? How do we know what, you know, how do we know what to invest? How Where do we even know where to start? And that was the point that we brought up before. In a world where there's so many competing priorities, which one is the right place to go? Is it a well-being strategy? Is it a leadership strategy? Is it a talent restructure? What, what does that all look and feel like? So I think, and look, I'm going to be really honest here. Um, I, I now, and I didn't used to, See the value in consulting with people who are external. I, I, I when um, in a previous role, we kept everything internal basically, um, and 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 I guess there was there was an arrogance to that. To be completely honest, um, particularly on my part, I was I looked after um, learning in, in that space now, but actually now I think, particularly to Lisa's point before about CEOs, about having someone who's a trusted advisor, having mm-hmm. someone who can give you a different perspective. And it can help you find out where to start mm. and, and how to unpick it all. I think it's really important. So I'll probably answer that in a bit of a long way, but I do think organizations know it. I definitely do. You can't argue with it, right? You can't argue with the research. You can't argue with people voting with their feet. At the moment, we've got a really competitive market in terms of talent. Mm. Um, so I think people will invest in it. It's how do you find the right person? And I think your your point about um, how you you know how you decide what the priorities are and how you make these decisions is is a really tough one. But when you when you have when you can step back and you can see the connection, it goes back to the point we made earlier. So many of the challenges that that people are dealing with at the moment are linked. So if you start, you know, that someone will be saying, "Well, we need to focus on mental health," or someone will be saying, "We need to focus on management development," or we need to focus on employee experience, whatever it is. Actually, if you step back, you think, well, actually, they're all completely connected. So just start somewhere and it'll have a knock-on effect on everything else. And just start having the conversation of pulling those people in. But some of the you know the critical skills that we know leaders, managers need to be developing is around how to um, make good decisions and how to influence others. Again, going back to what the kind of emotional motivation um, and and then how to lead that successfully in terms of if you're going to change something we're going to fo- change our focus of what we're we're looking at at the moment because this is what you know we believe in it and it's going to make a difference this is how it's going to feel to us how do we lead change so again we haven't even touched on change today but that whole notion of this is how we work at the moment this is how we worked in the past we know it's not really that effective so we're going to do something different we don't have some big in my opinion, change management program, because again, that's bringing something in and saying, we're going to manage this change. It's going to go like this. How about looking at this change leadership and people can lead the change based on what they're hearing from within their organization. Mm-hmm. So you might need to do that with external help because then you can have 
people coming along and and you know that's a huge amount of work I've done with some other colleagues around uh helping understand what needs to change and why and how to get people on board and how to understand resistant behavior and how to overcome that and that sort of thing but you need to you need to know how to support people to make good decisions and then to get everyone on board with going in in a different direction mm. and, and people do need to start looking at different directions yeah well, absolutely uh, well just back to what we were talking before there about um you know h- how do you actually choose a person what do, what do you do and you know I, i'm a firm believer in that people work with people i think that's really important i think for me and i've done some work with both of you um and the connection with both of you is purely being on a human on a human level mm. and then i have absolute belief that both of you will solve any problem that i might have for example because of who you are as people. I've not ever seen, for example, either of your CVs. I don't want to. I'm not interested in that. But a purely human connection. So if if I was a CEO right now and I'm looking, we just said there, external help, and I'm now a big, a big fan in that space. How do you what and this might be an uncomfortable um question for both of you actually. And I'm gonna to come to you first, Dave. On Yay. it. Why? <laughs> yeah. Sorry, Dave. Um why how how why how could someone pick you why what what's different about what you do that might be different to the next person firstly well played on that question that's a good question well look i think you're right gem that it, I, I firmly believe in soul to soul connection i believe business is personal absolutely end of we, without people in business we there is no business right so you know when you hear this phrase it, it's not it's business it's not personal i'm like no not having that it's always personal so let's just that's my feelings towards it but I think one of the reasons that uh, to to very briefly talk about the way I work is is that I I hope and I really hope to think that I anyone who interacts with me sees genuinely that I don't really want anything from them I'm not starting a conversation or trying to work with them because I want a sale or I need an outcome I just like being with people and I want to help, and I genuinely, and I know a lot of people do. I know I'm not on my own, so I know you guys are the same. But I'm not tied to the outcome. And that's taken me a long time to get there, right? I, I used to be, I used to sell cars four years of my life. I've sold, you know, you name it, I've sold it. So it was hard to break that tie, but through my own coaching, people coaching me, I've definitely seen that there's, um, that, that actually is, it's counterintuitive. It doesn't get you more sales. All it does is create a lot of buyer's remorse, actually. But that's a different conversation when I was selling cars years ago. But I think people with me, they find... I'm trying not to conflate my own ego at all here. Um, that I do give a... I care. I, I give a crap. I've always said to Lisa, I've got your back. And even to a point, one Christmas, Lisa sent me a mug that said, I've got your back on it, which I absolutely... Thank you. We still drink tea from it today. <laughs> I think that's how I come at it. Is It's not that I will do this, 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 and this, and it's a prescription of what you're going to get from working with me. It's more, I'm here, we'll talk, cool things will happen, and I've got your back always. Um, now, whether that's two minutes because it's being a bad day or you just want to tell me something amazing or it's a five-hour session, I don't make no difference to me. It doesn't matter. And I think that's the difference. And I think that can be seen through for leaders, for people trying to pick someone. You can tell people, we're smart these days. We're, you know, we know when we're being sold to, right? 
we pick up on it really fast. And I think, Lisa, we've talked about this a lot. Stop selling to anyone. Serve them. Serve them with everything you've got. Give them as much of you to that individual than someone is paying you thousands of pounds. Because it a for me, it's integrity. We should. We shouldn't dilute something just because they're not giving us some money. And I think it's actually that's the piece that people buy into. I think that's the bit that wants them to work with any any of us, any people like us. Because we're not on our own, right? There's loads of people out there who genuinely care and want to help humans through all sorts of things that we all struggle with. But on the flip side, Jen, there are people who um, are just trying to slog a course or I'm going to coach and get, you know, six grand for my, my, my program and I don't really care if you get anything out of it or not. I'm not really mortified if I spent time with someone and they got nothing from our time together. I mean, that, that would hurt me in my soul. So um, I think that's a big difference, but I know I'm not on my own with that. I'm not trying to do a sales piece on me. I think that's quite true for many people in our field, this area of help, you know. And, um, do you know, one thing I'll say this and I'll, and I'll be quiet is one thing that I tend to come up against that tends to throw a lot of, certainly other coaches that people do the same work to me, they don't really plan. They don't plan much. I try not to, I don't want to turn up with my intentions for that conversation i really want the other person to 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 drive the conversation to get out of it everything they want and i'm there to um ask those tougher questions to to dig around to challenge to say say the things they may not want to hear but probably need to hear but on the flip side of that to pick people up when they're having a terrible time because goodness knows we all need that right we all need picking up when we're struggling with limiting beliefs all this stuff so yeah, I don't plan. And he really threw someone recently. I was telling him, and he was like, Lo- lovely person. And they were done all their qualifications. Amazing. Good for them, right? I'm not saying I'm right and they're wrong, ever. But I'm like, no, I don't plan my calls. I turn up, I talk, and I leave. I don't write loads of notes. I don't particularly need them because if I need to know something, I'll find out. And that really threw them because they really needed to plan. They needed this prescriptive. Good for them. I'm not knocking it. But I think that's one of the biggest differences for me. Um, is can I can I just say ditto? Yeah. <laughs> no, but look, I, I think and look, oh. I, I agree, Dave, and, and I vouch for everything that you've just said. As 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 can Lisa, I know that, that you can. And I think one of the things that the three of us have got in common, and just to your point about you know sort of selling courses, for example, and not caring what happens, I I would say that we're all in the game of moving people. And again, yeah. that sounds quite sort of I don't know, mm. quite quite big, but actually. Caring about what happens at the end of it, as I said there, I'd be absolutely horrified if I delivered the session. And at the end of it, people were like, oh, yeah, all right, whatever. Absolutely. Um, but because yeah. um, it's a takeover, uh, Lisa, this is not your podcast today, so you cannot say ditto. Um, so what would your answer be? How What, what is it that's different, again, about, about you, about the way that you do things? Um, well, I guess one of my, my, you know, so much of what Dave has said, really resonates uh with my approach um and yours Jen, which is why the three of us get on so well um but also i think i always have this debate about to niche or not to niche and and with with my approach is that and i'm very aware that i'm in a my space is full of very um good experts who specialize in particular areas of um the work system and they're great at what they do. Uh, my approach is very much going along a bit like 
they saying with a blank slate and just to hear what's mm. what's getting in the way for people what what is it that's kind of um motivated them to bring me in so is it that they've got some conflicts they don't really know how to resolve that or they've done a project and they want to review that or they want some training around some mental health stuff you know there are so many different avenues that someone might say I just want to have a conversation with Lisa about this mm-hmm. and we I, we then together will shape whatever needs to happen next mm-hmm. so I very much develop that in conjunction with the people I work with without and of course I bring all my knowledge and all my skill to that but I'm not coming armed with a load of programs saying we need to do this this and this and I know some companies don't like that and I know some companies have said no to working with me because they want someone to come in with it's been like the solutions focus we said earlier on which is here's a package just run this with all your people and then your problem will be solved and that's not how I work um, I'd, I'd come in and say, actually, let's work out what your, the needs really are and actually get under the surface and understand really what's going on. And then let's put together something that's really going to work and mm. that we know it's going to work because we're going to evaluate it and it's going to have, you know, there's going to be followed up on. But I'll be there holding your hand throughout the whole thing. And I'm not just going to focus on this one aspect over here, which might be to do with mental health. I'm going to be focusing on, you know, it might be mental health and your manager ability to create safe culture for their team and people's um ability to understand their role in the bigger picture and and well let's pull everything together so it's almost for me it's almost like creating a culture map of what does a good organization look like and what i help people join the dots and i will help them understand which direction to go in and help them along that journey and then if we need something a really specialist that is beyond my capability then i know who to then bring in but often we don't get to the point of needing you know specific experts in a very niche area because so many of the things if as soon as you start in one area you and then you start having the right conversations you then start making such change within an organization that you don't need to start going off and building in and buying in lots of other um different pro, you know programs and and individuals from outside of the organization I think niche is interesting and, and I guess from working with you and well, both of you really, you know, it's a broad niche, which, you know, let's just challenge what niche is in itself. Mm. Humans, you know, mm. what, what, that, 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 that is the, the, so, you know, human behavior, the people show up differently, understanding humans and the way they sort of operate. I think that we're all common in that way, aren't we? We're all the same. We're all human. Um, and I think sometimes as organizations, problems can seem bigger than they are. Um, or we can create a massive problem when actually, do we need someone who's got a niche in understanding humans? I think mm. that's a niche to have, and it would be one that I would argue that you you absolutely have. Um, that's what I always put on a form, you know, when you have mm. to put in um, what industry you're in, and yeah. it, the other, I always put other, and I always put people, people because yeah. my, my industry is people, yeah. and I will be that person who, an HR director or uh, a, a leader or phone me and say, we've got this challenge this issue we think you might be able to help and it might be something that I've never talked about before you know classic after action reviews um someone phoned me and said I think they this company wants this work doing can you go and do it I'd never talked about that before but suddenly that's then 
they thought Lee should be the person because it's about people. It's about understanding what's going well, what's not going well, and how to shape processes different going forward. So that's that's probably the the bit that people like you saying, Gem. People get to know someone. It's the person rather than the specific programs. Yeah, and, and niches. You know, in the media, as we all see, I mean, it's it's pronounced that if you don't have a niche, you're going to fail, and that's just not true. Um, it, it doesn't mean anything. And I think that in some sectors, niching may have more importance, typically sectors that are practical in their business operation, i.e. say an accountant, where they deliver a business function. So they might say, oh, I only deal with retailers or I only deal with pharma or, you know, whatever. And that can make sense because that, that company can create their systems and processes, mm-hmm. streamlines to fit that particular sector. They're not dealing with people like we deal with people. Mm-hmm. So I think in some places, niche is important. But for me, again, not saying I'm right and everyone else is wrong, but I think niche is actually restrictive. I think actually we should be open to dealing with humans, that you know our business is people, and it doesn't matter whether they're a one-person organization or a 3,000-person organization. People are people are people. And I think the three of us, and certainly most, well, everyone in our arena, if you like, would understand that most people suffer with the most the, the same problems to one degree or another, whether that's you know self-confidence, esteem, limiting beliefs, worry, anxiety, stress, all that stuff that we hear a lot about. Everyone suffers it to one degree or another. And because that's the kind of the bulk of the work that we all do, is helping people through that, it's helping people see something different to that and you know the um the new realizations that they may have that improve their lives, then people are our business. Absolutely. Jen, what's going to be your uh, answer to your question? Oh, you know, don't get to ask me my own question. Yeah. Um, what would be different? What, 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 I can't remember what my question was. What was it? To niche or not to niche? That is. Well, your original question is what makes you different? What makes you stand out? Yeah. Um, I think um, I am a bit of a disruptor. Um, so I don't necessarily look at things um, in, in the way that other people might look at them. Um, so so I like shaking things up a little bit. Um, so I like working with people who want to do things a little bit differently. I like to challenge status quo. I'm natural. I'm natural challenger. Um, and ask the big question. Um, I think I again the same as all of us really. I and I think it's really important when we think about the things that we do as well in terms of you know I said at the beginning that you know um, I'm offering some consultancy services now. I think when you said before, at least about people, you know, might say they don't want to work with you. I think it's really important for us to think about what what aligns with us as well, because there'll be some companies who'll ask me to do some work. I'm not the right person for them, mm-hmm. and that's okay. And actually, what they want, if they want something that's just off the shelf and isn't going to really make a difference, if it's going to tick a box, I've got a real issue with people doing things for a performative reason. Um, I, I'm really, I've really got a big problem with that, to be honest. So for me. It's meaningful work um, and it's actually the ability to move people and hold up a mirror and actually look inside what's actually going on here. Um, mm-hmm. So I, I like working with people and companies who actually want to do the right thing for the right reasons and want to shake things up a little bit and not look at things in a more um, traditional way. So yeah, when there are people like that, um, I'm quite a good um, partner to have. But I think, again, if it's something that's, want something that's sort of you know quite standard and just to tick a box i'm not i'm not the right person because i'll be sort of banging on about what okay so what my favorite question is so what mm. so what? 
this is nice, but what 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 changes are going to make? Mm-hmm. Um, I've got that the the comment about I don't tick boxes on my website. <laughs> yeah. that, you know, if if that's what you want, then go and find someone else. And there'll be there are plenty of people who who'll do that. It's so important, isn't it, to disrupt? Like just challenging the status quo. The number of when like the number of times I ask the question, why why do you do it like that? You know, why why is it that that happens like that? And they're like, well, I don't know. We just, that's how we've always done it. And you just and again, it goes back to. The just, I'm not going to say just, that those simple questions. Why do you do what you do and what yeah. difference does it make? And actually, it's just it stumps some people. They just have never even thought, of, they've just never questioned, their, they've practiced, they've never kind of had the space to reflect and evaluate what it is they do and whether it's actually working. Mm. And, um, I wonder whether some people are just sort of naturally like this. I remember being a kid, I remember being about seven, I think I was. And I asked my mum for something and she she said no. And I said, why? And she gave me an answer again. I said, well, why? And then she, after about 10 asks, she's like, that's why. Stop asking questions. And I thought, this is unacceptable. So so from the age of seven, I was like, absolutely not. I'll never, you know, never stop asking the question. There's always a next question and the next one. Mm-hmm. After that, I think again, there's so much strength and power in that because if we don't ask the questions, how are things ever going to change? And they're mm-hmm. not, are they? So if we're all here to make waves and to make the world a little bit better, you've got to ask those kind of questions, haven't you? But you can see how it's been knocked out of many of us, though, isn't it? Yeah, when parents are getting yeah. angry when you're small by saying, why, 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 why? I mean, my son does it all the time. And it's easy with that stuff. It gets knocked out of us over over the years, doesn't it? So, you know, and, and you're right. I, mean, I think, you know, I've been through this loop with many people that, to, to the point where I'm really annoying with them and they'll say, well, why, why, why? Because there, there has to come to an end where they kind of have to get to that point of, they either go, oh, this is absolutely why I'm doing it. Oh, I can see it. This is purpose-driven now. Great. Or they go, don't really know why. I'm, I'm, I'm out. I don't actually know why. And both are amazing. Both mm-hmm. outcomes are, are wonderful because it just creates that clarity. It brings into focus what, what it is you're your depth, you know, peeling away the layers of an onion, it gets to the core more, which I think once people see that, I know for me, it's been an amazing tool. Once I understand it a lot better, it changes everything. So what, so, so just, I'm going to, um, I'm, I'm, I'm a Simon Sinek fan girl. So, so let's stay on the Simon thing and watch your why. Um, yeah. I'll answer mine first to give you a chance. So in terms of the work that we do, I genuinely believe that the world needs great leaders. I think I've seen so many times the impact of poor leadership that I, I genuinely believe that if we can just change the world one leader at a time, we have a much better space. So that's why I'm really passionate and keen about what I do. So Dave, what's yours? I think my my big why is I want people to have a much better ex- experience of their life in business. I went through quite a rough time and, and um, fell foul of some really difficult well-being challenges um and i i truly believe that people can have a much nicer experience of life and business that's my why that's why i want to show people another way because not everything we hear is true and two things can be true at once right it, it there's so much more to it than what we hear and what we're fed all day um so that's my why nice one <laughs> My wife is really similar in, in the sense that um, I want everyone to have the best opportunity they can to lead a meaningful life. So mm-hmm. if that's at work for their work experience to feel how they want it to feel, it's it's aligning our reality with what we're motivated by. 
and also opening some people's eyes who haven't necessarily got the aspirations because they haven't seen it, they haven't had that experience in the past, to show them that there are other ways of doing things and other ways of feeling things, other ways of experiencing things. So sometimes, you know, we, sometimes we, it's about helping people achieve the potential that they know they want to achieve, but they just haven't quite got there yet. And for some people, it's essentially um, about just helping them see that there is something more that they could uh, it could experience because they haven't been able to kind of get a glimpse outside their, their little box yet. Mm-hmm. But on that note, Dave, I think you should sum up. <laughs> wow. Well, brilliant. Brilliant. <laughs> Do you know what? Like, you know, when we say, I, I think we live by what we say is that, we don't plan. Now, let's be honest, we had a five-minute conversation before this, but we just got into it and we just talked. And I think that's where all the great stuff in life comes out from, where everything's a little less planned. And then before anyone gets all up in arms and me, I'm worried about it, plan if you want to plan, cool. But I think there's a place where sometimes we just don't need to. And that's what's been great about this conversation is it's been unplanned. We've just talked. I've enjoyed it. I've learned from it, as always, as I do from you guys. Um, and I think I'm going to put a shameless plug in for you two that anyone listening to this who's got this far on the podcast, first of all, well done. Um, but second of all, if you're struggling in any way, you need to speak to Lisa and Gemma because um, I know firsthand these guys are amazing. You both do phenomenal work. And, you know, I really want for you both to stay brave and keep going. Thanks, Dave. Thanks, Dave. And Lisa, congratulations on, on 50 podcasts. And thanks so much for um, giving Dave and me the honour of, uh, yeah. of taking over today. It's been fun, hasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Thank you both so much. I might just bring you into this on a regular basis. I could just sit here and just be part of the conversation rather than yeah. leaving it. Um, I love, um, yeah, I've loved today. I love the the direction the conversation's gone in. And, and in terms of you know, looking at what we've learned over 50 episodes, it's not so much 50 episodes per se, it's kind of actually what's happened in the world of work during that time that the uh, the podcast has been running. And I think we've explored some really interesting points around where the world of work is at now and, you know, leadership, employee experience, mental health and so on compared to where it was um, before and, and again, essentially what needs to happen next, the going forward bit, which is the important bit. Um, so thank you so much, both of you. you. Really, really grateful. Um, Jen, did you want to sing a bit of Barry to see us out? <laughs> you know what, to be honest, I've just had a big massive cough, so my voice isn't as husky. So tune in next time for the Barry one. <laughs> um, I'm going to, in the in the show notes, we'll make sure we've got your contact details for, for both of you. Um, Jen will put the reference to that, um, the Invisible Leader book and any other references that you think will be really useful to mm-hmm. share in, in relation to what we've been talking about today. But um, till next time, thank you very much. Good evening. Be a pleasure. See you guys. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining me on the Beyond the Water Cooler podcast. What's the one thing you will take away from this conversation to think about or do differently? I'd love you to join the club to stay in the loop and be the first to hear about exciting things I'm developing, including free downloadable resources. The link to sign up is in the show notes. I hope this episode has got you thinking about how you can make a real difference to the people you work with and how well you and those around you are engaging and thriving. 
Let's continue the conversation about the points raised in this episode. Or perhaps you have other questions about employee experience and performance. Email me at It's Time for Change, connect with me on LinkedIn, or why not pick up the phone? I love to walk and talk. My details are in the notes. Before next time, please give me a thumbs up on Apple or wherever you listen to your podcasts. And for an extra brownie point, leave me a short review. Let's spread the messages far and wide. Bye for now. Oh,